0: Good evening. Good evening. Yeah, I was going to try not to say it, but I can't. I'm still, I'm just so stinking excited. Every time we gather, I get pumped up seeing your faces, seeing that God is moving in your lives, God is working in your life, and maybe in your family's life. That just pumps me up. And so welcome to this gathering of Outfitter Church. Um, I am honored uh, that you chose to spend your evening with us tonight. And, um, uh, We've been going through this is the the second one, so just two weeks, but we've been talking about the Christ of Christmas. And we've been talking about the significance of Jesus becoming man, of of God putting on flesh and becoming man. And so so last week we talked about that that the Christ of Christmas is a promise fulfilled, that He is um, God in the flesh and that Christ of Christmas is salvation for all. And so we looked at Jesus' birth, and we looked at uh, how that birth was, the whole purpose of that birth was that he could come into death and resurrection so that he could pay the price for our sins. Uh, But we want to look at tonight is, why was that, again, why was that so significant? And why does Jesus' birth Make him the only God like him. That there are no other gods, lowercase g, like Jesus. What is it about his birth that does that? And so I'm going to pray, and then we're going to turn our Bibles to Hebrews chapter 2 and take a look at what God has done in the birth of Christ. Jesus, we thank you for being with us tonight. I pray that you are blessed and that you are honored, and glorified by what is sung, by what is preached, and by our prayers tonight. Lord, we thank you, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 2. Now, we do this every time, so every time that you're here, you're probably going to be able to say this script for me. But, Everything that we believe and base our lives on at Outfitter Church is rooted in God's perfect holy word, the Bible. And so every message that we're ever going to preach is going to be out of the Bible, and that is our authority in life. If you do not have a Bible and you would like one, on the end of your row there is a Bible that is our gift to you. We want you to know that everything that we believe and everything that we teach has no authority unless it comes from God's word. And so please, that is our gift to you. And if you are going to be reading along today in that Bible, our passage is on page 1062. So 1062, if you have one of our church Bibles, page 1062, Hebrews chapter two, verses 14 through 18. And also it is on the screens if you'd like to read along there. Read with me. Now, <clears throat> since the children have flesh and blood in common, Jesus also shared in these so that through his death he might destroy the one holding the power of death, that is, the devil, <clears throat> excuse me, and free those who were being held in slavery all their lives by the fear of death. For it is clear that he does not reach out to help angels, but to help Abraham's offspring. Therefore, verse 17, Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers and sisters in every way so that he could become a merciful and faithful high priest in matters pertaining to God, to make atonement for the sins of the people. Verse 18, For since he himself has suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who were tempted. The first thing that I want you to see, it's, in, it's in, the, in verse 14. The first thing that I want you to see in this text is that what Jesus did not become, Jesus cannot redeem. I'll say that again. What Jesus did not become, Jesus cannot redeem. What do I mean by that? Some people have a really hard time believing in the God-man. It's challenging, the the fact that we believe that there is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. Three divine entities, but all the same singular God. That is a profound Christian mystery that not anyone can ever fully comprehend and be able to speak in perfect explanation. But we see it in the scriptures, and so we believe it to be true, and we live with the belief that God is faithful and He would never lie to us. So what I'm getting at is that Jesus was fully God. If he's not fully God, then he's not perfect. And his sacrifice on the cross wouldn't have meant anything. So he's fully God, but he's also fully human. Because you're fully human, and so am I. And because we're fully human, we live in a sinful and broken world, and we ourselves are sinners, dead in our trespasses and sin, and in need of salvation, if we're going to spend eternity with God and be right with him in this life, we need salvation. Well, so Jesus, fully God, can make the only, he's the only one who can make the sacrifice because he's God, and he's perfect, and we're not. But he also has to be fully man so that he can suffer like humanity And in place of humanity, die a sinner's death. What Jesus did not become, Jesus cannot redeem. This explains why there was a a great star in the east that the wise men from thousands of miles away saw that and traveled for two years to come and see this Messiah that was born. They they had, they they had the scriptures. They knew that the Messiah of the Jews was to be born in the east. And so they saw this star. In two years, they journeyed. That's not like comfortable in a Chevy Suburban, okay? That's on camels and hiking and walking and, and lots of danger for two years because they knew something was happening in Bethlehem. And so they traveled for two years. It explains why the angel armies that we talked about in our last gathering filled the sky and had a victory cry of glory to God in the highest. There's a reason the angels came in full army and proclaimed that the the Messiah had come. This explains all these really significant things that took place at the birth of this little boy in Bethlehem named Jesus. The reason it's so significant is because for the first time in humanity and the first time in history, God put on human limitations. Jesus, if Jesus isn't fully human, then we have no hope. If Jesus is not fully God, then the sacrifice isn't good enough. That's why this is so significant. That's why I'm not saying that there's differences in whether Jesus was born on December 25th or not, but regardless of the day of his birth, this is when we celebrate. And that's what makes this season so significant is we celebrate that God became human for us. He put on flesh flesh and he came towards us. Jesus is fully God. He became fully man and remains so. Jesus, prior to his birth, did not have flesh. He put on flesh. He put on humanity, and he for eternity will remain so. That blows my mind that his love is so deep, his love is so immense for us that he would eternally put on flesh on behalf of the salvation of mankind. Jesus is forever changed for all purpose of redeeming humanity. We see that when it says, verse 14, now since the children have flesh and blood in common, Jesus also shared in these so that through his death, he might destroy the one holding the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who were held in slavery all their lives by the fear of death. So not only did, is it true that what Jesus did not become, Jesus cannot redeem, so because he became fully human, while fully God, he can fully redeem your life. Not only did he do that, but Jesus also conquered death so you don't have to fear death. I'll tell a funny story. I won't name any names, but here recently I went hunting. And about five yards off the road, <clears throat> we hit a snowdrift. That snowdrift shot us into a little pothole, if you will. And we, within 30 seconds, knew our hunt was canceled. We had two dogs in the back, we had decoys, we had ho- high hopes and dreams, and within five yards of getting off the main road, the dreams were crushed. To make matters worse, about 15 yards in front of us was a drop-off that had a really good possibility of killing us. And we, we kept trying to wiggle and wiggle out, <laughs> now, I didn't say this then, but I'll say it now, um... There was a couple moments where I didn't think we were going to be able to stop in time as we were trying to wiggle around to get out. And, and, and the possibility of death was imminent, and we even laughed about it once, once things had been settled down. <clears throat> I thought, you know, I thought we might go down that. He said, yeah, you did say that the only thing in life you have to do is die. And I said, that is very true. Is You don't have to do anything but die. Death is the one requirement of all people. You are going to die. Death is inescapable. And for some of us, that's terrifying. Because you don't know where you're going to spend your eternity. You don't know if there is an eternity. If there's a God, are you going to be with Him? Why? And so we have these questions about life and about death. And no matter how many times you try and ignore it, there is an inescapable reality that you're getting older and that death is one day closer. Death is a terrifying thing to think about if you don't know what's going to happen to you. I remember talking to a waitress here at the hangar, and tears filled her eyes as we talked about death and about what's going to happen after death and and her uncertainty of, of what would happen to her. Isn't it beautiful that Jesus conquered death so that you don't have to fear death? But that only applies to you if you are a child of God. It only applies to you if you have been adopted into the family of God and you have been made right with God the Father through the death of the Son on the cross. I will say this for modern day application. If you're not a Christian... And let me define that because I think sometimes we we get mixed up and everyone's a Christian. A Christian is someone whose life preferences and passions are directed and primarily influenced by Jesus Christ alone. That our passions, our, our pursuits in life and in, in our purpose, we know it to be founded in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. We follow him and we love him. If your life is not marked by that very strong primary urge, then my, my guess would be that you're not a Christian. So if you're not a Christian and you're not afraid to die, you should be. Because death for those that is not a Christian Means eternal punishment and torment separated from God and all things good. Death is a terrifying eternal reality. Yet Jesus, in his great love, Jesus, fully God, becomes fully man. Now he is the God man, what we would call him, and he dies. And he resurrects, paving a path for all people who follow him to conquer death as well. Meaning that you will die in this life only to be entered into new life, which is called glory or heaven. Uh, There's a rapper, his name is Lecrae, and he has a lyric where he says, Death is just a doorway to take me to my faithful lover. I love that. Death is a For the Christian, death is the doorway to eternal joy with your Father. If you're not a Christian, death is the doorway to eternal punishment in a place that is literal and real called hell. So if you're not a Christian and death does not scare you, it should. But the beautiful thing is that Jesus conquered death so that you don't have to fear it. For the Christians... Now, I did not want to die (laughs) on this alleged duck hunt, but I knew where I was going if I did. Of course, I didn't want to. I have two beautiful kids and a gorgeous wife that I love to spend time with and a family that I love to be with and a church that I am honored to pastor. I did not want to die, but I had no fear of knowing where I was going and who I would spend my eternity with. And it's the family of God in the presence of God the Father. So Christians, have no fear. Jesus came. He took on flesh. He died the death that you must die so that you can live the life that you couldn't have earned for yourself. Jesus became man and died in your place so that we could have life. Jesus makes the way for us to be free. So we know that what Jesus did not become, Jesus cannot redeem. He has become man, he can redeem humanity. Jesus conquered death so that you don't have to fear dying. Praise God. But what else has Jesus done that is clear in this passage? In verse 16, it says, For it is clear that he does not reach out to help angels, but to help Abraham's offspring. What in the world is happening there? In in chapter one of Hebrews, he talks about angels again. He says that Jesus' name is superior to angels. And here we go again in chapter two, and he's talking about Jesus didn't reach down and help the angels, but he helped the children of Abraham, the seed of Abraham. So people, he helped people. And I don't know about you, but I like to ask, what in the world are we talking about angels for? Like, where's this out of left field angel coming from? I don't get it. Well, it's well documented in history that Jews and also at the time, the Greco-Roman area that this was written, they had a deep respect and, ah, dare I say, infatuation with angels. It was even possible that they would have prayed to angels. Uh, some of us have friends or maybe know of some denominations or religions that you pray to certain angels for certain, there's the patron saint of children, there's the patron saint of safety. There's, so you pray these prayers to these certain angels or to these certain figures uh, in, in hopes that they will then act on your behalf. And what the author is making painfully clear and obvious right here, he says, for it is clear in verse 16 that Jesus does not reach out to help angels, but to help Abraham's offspring when it says reach out to help you can literally translate that take hold of so these people believe that these angels could help you and we live in this fallen world there's all this need for redemption and for help and for, and for God's intervention but yet the author saying hey look Jesus isn't coming down to help the angels out. He's coming to help you. Now, you could say that the offspring of Abraham is only Jews, but there's a possibility that it could mean Gentiles as well. And so what we can confidently believe is that that Jesus reached out to humanity and he took them by the shoulders. And why did he take them by the shoulders? It says he did that to help them. Well, how did he help them? Verse 17, Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers and sisters in every way. We've already talked about this so that he could become a merciful and faithful high priest in matters pertaining to God, namely, to make atonement for the sins of the people. So, Jesus can't redeem what he does not become, so, he becomes fully human to help all of humanity. Jesus in that humanity dies and resurrects. So he beats the only thing that is unbeatable, that's death. And now it says that he's come, he's reached out, he's taken humanity by the shoulders and what has he done? He reached out to help them, but what did that help look like? It says to make atonement for the sins of the people. There's a really big Bible word that I like, and it is propitiation. I don't know why, but it just makes me feel smart to be able to say propitiation, right? It's, it's a joyous word. What that means is a payment of and an aversion of God's wrath. Let me give an illustration as to what propitiation means. I pastored a church in East Texas uh, called Bear Creek in Bear Creek before i got there there was huge fires 50,000 acres burned in this small rural community one of our members had a bulldozer and as this fire was coming he was he went to his neighbor's house and he bulldozed a path And took out all the grass. It was just fresh, raw ground. And he bulldozed the path all the way around his neighbor's property line. And guess what? When the flames that were going to destroy him and his house came, they went around and they were averted. That's what that means, to divert something, to avert it, to take it away from that location and move it to somewhere else. That's what Jesus does for you and for me. The wrath of God was coming on your sin and on my sin. And if we did not repent of that sin, God's wrath would consume us in eternity called hell as punishment for our wrong choices against his good nature. So that wrath is coming down on you. It is inevitable. It is inescapable. Death is the doorway to this eternal punishment. And Jesus steps in and he bulldozes the property line around your soul and he diverts the wrath of God directly to himself. And he absorbs all of God's hatred and wrath on sin so that you could live. Says he didn't reach down to help the angels, He reached down to help you. He's taken you by the shoulders and he's letting you know, I've bulldozed a path around your soul and God's wrath will not come on you because I've taken it if only you will believe and follow me. Christians, I want to encourage you as I encourage myself If Jesus became flesh, died in our place, takes us by our shoulders and averts God's wrath and takes it on his own property, his own life, what should we be doing? We're not not Jesus and we can't save our friends and our neighbors. But what we can do is by telling them about Jesus, by telling them and by example, or living out a a Christian life, showing them that, that Jesus truly has changed us, and by loving them no matter what they're going through, no matter what life choices they make, being that faithful friend to constantly point them to Jesus, that's called bulldozing a property line around their soul in hopes that they will accept that Jesus loves them and that they will follow him as well. Not only has Jesus taken hold of you and told you, Look, I have protected you. God's wrath is, can be diverted from you if you will believe in me. Not only has He done that for you, but the last thing that we see in this passage is verse 18. It says, For since he himself has suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Jesus is the only God who can sympathize with your suffering. I want that to sink in. Let's think about all the religions in the world. Let's think about all the different religions in our state. In our state, there's multiple voices saying, this is the way to heaven. Let me say this, based on verse 18, for since he himself has suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are tempted. Jesus is the only God that can sympathize with your suffering. Why can I so confidently say that? if you study all the religions of the world, there is only one God who put on limitations and came to those that were sinners. There's a man named David Platt. Now, he, now he's the former, he's a pastor now, and, but he was the former president of the North American Mission. No, 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 Sorry of the International Mission Board, the largest missions agency in the world. He loves telling people about Jesus, okay? He was one time, I don't remember if it was Nepal or somewhere else, but he's, he was sitting up with several different religious leaders, like a Hindu, um, a Buddhist, and, and or, uh, yeah, a Buddhist. Uh, I can't remember all the different religions that were with him, but there's a couple different religious leaders surrounding, like in this area and they were talking about God. And he said, so let me get this straight. Let me, let me see if I can, what you believe and what you believe and what you believe. He says, essentially, God's at the top of a mountain and in, in your Muslim faith and your Hindu faith and your faith and this faith, we're all just going up different paths, but we're getting to the same God at the top of the mountain. Is that what you're saying? Is that, even though we're on a different side of the mountain, on a different path, we're still going to make it to the top of the mountain where God lives. Is that correct? And they said, yes, that's exactly what we're saying. And he goes, okay, what if I were to tell you that that God came off the mountain, came down, and he blazed his own trail and said, this is the best way to, not the best, this is the only way to actually make it to the top where I am would you want to know about that God? And they said, yes. He said, great, let me introduce you to Jesus. Because he's the only one who did what he did. There's a book called, it's hard for me to pronounce this word, dissonant Voices by Harold Netland. dissonant Voices mean deferring voices. And what it does is, now it's from a Christian perspective, so it's hard to be unbiased if you're a Christian. Clearly you think Christianity is true and the other religions are not. So, take it for what it is, but he tries to survey all these religions. And so you look at the largest religions in the world and, and people say that we're all going to the same place. but no, you're not because those religions in and, of, in and of themselves make exclusive truth claims. Muslims say, this is the way. Buddhists say, this is the way. Christians say, this is the way. Jews say, this is the way. And those, this is the ways, defer with one another. They're not the same. You're not going to the same heaven. Somebody is right and others are wrong. You can't have five different truths if they all say the other isn't true. There is truth. We must know it. Why would you stake your claim in Jesus? Because if you look at these other religions, and and, and, please don't crucify me when I say this, if you really step back, it, in some ways I, they're beautiful. There's so much love, and there's so much be nice to others, and or karma, be kind so that kindness will come back to you. And if you try and I'm trying to sympathize, or right? I'm trying to read this, I'm trying to understand why someone would disagree with my Christianity, and I'm trying to understand where they're coming from. But no matter with how much respect you look at their religions, you notice that there are things you must do to appease the God to get with him. When it comes to Christianity, Jesus removes all doubt. (laughs) If you look at the... uh, all there's a certain number of things you must do as a Muslim. You've got to do the pil- pilgrimage to Mecca. You've got to give money to the poor. You've got to do these things uh, in order to possibly go to heaven. Uh, then there's the nirvana for other religions. And there's, um, th- there's becoming Buddha, right? Becoming the enlightened one uh, for Buddhists. There's, there's all these things. There's steps to take. And if you do this and you do this and you do this, I love what Jesus does. He's like, look, bro, let me, let me just be honest with you. Um, you're kind of disgusting and you can't do this on your own. Like on your own, you're a horrible, wretched sinner that does nothing but disagree with everything I've put in your heart. I created you for myself so that you could be obedient and to love and to honor and to glorify me and the purposes I gave you in this life. You've chosen to prefer everything besides my desires and you live in complete opposition to my will. You can't come to heaven. You're too messed up, but I still love you enough that I would die for you so that you could come back to the Father. I'm going to pick that religion. (laughs) Seems a little bit more forthcoming. Yeah, you're so bad you're not getting in unless you come through my death, burial, and resurrection. I died in your place so that you could do what you could never do on your own. Jesus' birth is the culmination of God becoming man. For the redemption of humanity, Jesus says everyone must be born again. He's saying you must be born of a woman, right? You have to be born. You have to become alive first. And then at some point in your life before you breathe your last breath on this life and close your eyes into eternity, you have to be born again of the Spirit which means that there has to be a time in your life where you say, all right, Jesus, it finally makes sense. I wasn't raised this way. I didn't think that you were right. I did all that in ignorance. I didn't know what was really happening. But today I'm following you. I need you to forgive me of my sins. And I want to follow you all the days of my life. What's so significant about Christmas is that it's Jesus' birth that enables you to have spiritual birth. It enables you to be able to be born again into the family of God, adopted as sons and daughters. I wonder for the Christians in the room, Could we just celebrate what Jesus has done? Could we just take this season? Could we take this evening? We're going to sing a couple songs here in a minute. Could we just take that time to just be grateful to God? I I got so pumped up in this dadgum sermon when when I read about that he reached down and he grabbed you by your shoulders and he's like, this is what I've done for you. I've taken the wrath of God so that you don't have to experience that. Today in my Bible reading, I was in Matthew chapter 26 where Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane and he's crying because he's about to take on the wrath of God. And he says, God and Father, if there's any way that this can pass, please let it be. And it doesn't. And he has to go again. And he says, if this must be what has to be done, then your will be done. Jesus suffered. He can understand what you're going through because he became a man. I wonder if, if tonight, as you've heard about the significance of Jesus' birth, that you have decided you need to be born again. So if you're a Christian here, you've already begun following Christ. If you've already been forgiven of your sins and you've begun following him as your Lord, let's celebrate that. We're fixing to sing some amazing songs. Praise God for what He's done. But if you're in here, I just want you to consider following Jesus. What prevents you from accepting the message that He has died for you? I'm going to ask our band to come on up and play some music for us while we make some decisions. I want to see God do great things in this city. When you read that passage, when you read that passage, that it says that he didn't reach down to help the angels, but he reached down to help us. My prayer is that he reached down to help Barnun. My prayer is that he reached down and, and, and instead of us instead of the people that make up Barnum and the people that make up Casper and the surrounding cities, I believe that Jesus on the cross bulldozed a path around the people of this state, around the people of this city, so that the wrath of God doesn't have to fall on them. I don't know why you're here, but I know it has something to do with God. Maybe you're, uh, maybe you're from Wind City and you've committed and you're a member of our church. Thank you for being here. I love you. You're my family. Maybe you're a Christian and you're wondering, is this the church for you? I don't know. We're just going to preach the Bible and learn to love Jesus. We're going to just continually try and do that. Maybe you're here because you're asking questions. Is there something to this God thing? I would say Yes. God, in His mercy, has bulldozed the path around you so that God's wrath was absorbed in His life so that you could experience grace. What is your response to that? Will you receive that? If you want to follow Jesus, I'm going to say a simple prayer. All it is is declaring truth. We do that every service. We always want to give someone an opportunity to follow Jesus. If that's you tonight, I'll save part of it. You repeat part of it to yourself. Afterwards, I'd love for you to let me know that. You can fill out that card and I'll give you a call this week or you can just come talk to me afterwards. I always stand right there at the back. You can still come talk to me even if you didn't, but just want to be clear. If you want Jesus' birth to give you new life tonight. Pray this after me. Jesus, you became man so that you could redeem humanity. I need to be redeemed. Jesus, you conquered death so that I don't have to die. Jesus, deliver me from my sin. Deliver me from the death within me. Give me life. Jesus, you've reached down to help me. you moved God's wrath away from me and took it upon yourself. Jesus, you are the only God who can sympathize with my suffering. Because of that, Jesus, I'm giving you my life. I will follow you. I will love you. I will obey you. Forgive my sins. Give me your Holy Spirit. And teach me to walk with you. Again, if you prayed that prayer, I want I, I'm asking that you would just fill out that connect card and check that top box that you decided to follow Jesus today. Maybe you still have questions. Write your question down. Let's talk. Let's get coffee. Let me pray for, for our church now and then let's sing in response to what we've heard. Jesus, thank you for for who you are and what you've done. Thanks for letting us gather here to worship you. Now please, Father, be enthroned on our praises tonight through music. Help us to respond with gratefulness for what you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen.